Well, good morning. It's been neat uh, to see what God continues to do, and, and even with, with things in Haiti right now, um, this is, again, another challenge, and yet in the midst of that, we've seen God be faithful over and over again, just like we sang in the words of the song, and just like that with them, he will be with us as well. Well, Pastor Tim kicked off a series last week entitled, In Troubled Times. Uh, at the beginning of the summer, we went through a series, uh, A Mighty Fortress, and really got a good look at our God, our protector God, and the fact that we can, that we can go to him, that we can, we can see and feel that protection and know that he's got everything in control. We can worship him because of that. And yet, though, as the trials and the difficulties of life happen, and as our sinful self gets involved in things, we see that there are um, troubled times that come. And so we're looking through how do we respond in these troubled times. And, and last week we looked uh, at the uh, um, trusting in fear. And if you remember the graphic there from before, it's a little similar to a series actually from a couple of years ago, our toxic series, as we, as we saw that the, the heart described in, in, in Scripture, and really we see it divided into kind of four different areas and, and, and four different uh, uh, sections there, and, and that of fear. So what do we do in fear? And, and we had a great challenge last week of trusting in fear. This week, we're going to continue on and look at the quadrant third to the left of that of despair. And so when things are tough, when things are hopeless, when the doubts and all of that creep in, when there is despair and depression, how are we to respond in those times? We're going to see the hope that, that God provides in these times of despair. As we walk through this uh, uh, and so what is the difference between fear and despair? And, and it's really kind of simple in this. Fear is playing the what-if game. What if this happens? Or what if this doesn't happen? What if this happens? What if? And, and it's all of the fears and anxieties that come up from the what-ifs. And being afraid it won't work out the way that we like. Despair, on the other hand, is, is kind of taking that one step further and it's saying, it's already happened. Instead of the what if, it's the, it's the it has happened now. We've already lost whatever it was. So how do we respond in those times? We're going to look at a passage here in Psalm 57. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to this psalm. And this is a psalm of David. Here that he writes Psalm 57, and uh, from the title there, and, and it gives some explanation, some context to this psalm. This is a psalm of David, and this is when David was writing here as he's hiding out in a cave. There are a couple of different accounts that we see in Scripture in 1 Samuel 22 and 1 Samuel 24, two different encounters where, where King Saul was chasing the future king, David, the one whom God had anointed to be his successor, and he was trying to kill him, and David was on the run, and at times had a little band of men that were with him, and they were hiding out from the great army of the Israelites and, and Saul, and they were hiding in a cave, and it's at one of those times that David writes this psalm here, and we see 
the statements of despair and the statements of worship and hope in the midst of it. And so let's jump into that. If you're taking notes, point number one is find hope in God's power and protection. He will provide. Find hope in God's power and protection. He will provide. Verse 1 says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. David is, is hiding out. He's afraid. He can feel the armies of Saul closing in around him, and he's, and he's back into a corner. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt the, the circumstances and the pressures of life, and you start to get those doubts, you start to get those, those thoughts of hopelessness, of God's, God doesn't have this in control. And we see this, we see these doubts that David has as, as the hopelessness sets in here and he cries out to God, he says, be merciful, be compassionate to me, be gracious to me, O God, because I get relief and security from you, because my soul takes refuge in you. He, he recognizes that there is relief and security in the presence of God. And he continues, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destructions pass by. In the shadow of your wings, and you can see the metaphor that, that we see is, is God stretching out his wings or his arms. And David says, I'm going to just come in right underneath of the shelter that you are providing here. Your presence and the greatness of God, the arms, the wings of God. And he says, I'm going to sit under those and, and, and receive protection from the storm that is raging around me. And, and as long as I stay right underneath of you, I'm protected. And we see David there realizing that we only feel the effects of the storm that God allows to go through his arms. We, we, we only feel the effects of the storm that God allows to go through his arms, through his protective hand. David cries out, be merciful to me. He continues on in verse 2 and he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose in me. I, I call out, I cry out to this supreme sovereign God, the one who created and spoke the world into existence. This is the God, David says, I cry out to you. And to you who fulfills his purpose in me. When you're going through those tough times, when you're going through those times both of being frightened and then in the doubts and the despair and the hopelessness, cry out to God. He wants to hear from you. Call out to God, telling your pain, your struggles, your fears. We know that God wants to hear from his children. And here we see David doing this where he calls out to God in the time of hopelessness, in the time of despair. When there's no one else to turn to, David turns to God and he cries out to God. And then the next statement is very powerful. The God who fulfills his purpose in me. What's David saying? David's saying, take hope. God has a plan. 
Have you heard that before? God has a plan. Say that with me. God has a plan. You betcha. Even in the midst when it seems hopeless, when despair sets in, yet we can count on the fact that God still has a plan. That God is at work, that God is capable of executing his plan. We can take hope in the fact that that God is powerful, that God will protect and provide for us, that God has a plan. God has a plan, not only for that, he fulfills his purpose for me. David gets real purposeful. He gets very specific and says, look, God's plan is for me specifically. God has a plan for you. And it's just an amazing thing how God orchestrates and works through these plans and and how our our lives and, and, and paths intersect together, and yet God has a very specific plan for you. You can take hope in the fact that God has a plan. Verse 3, he says, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. He will send from heaven. He will direct his forces from heaven to protect me, David says. And he will bring guilt to the one who runs over me. He will send from heaven. God has a mighty force in heaven. And David says, look, worst case scenario, I know and I can trust the fact that God will mobilize the forces of heaven to bring about his purpose and his will in my life. And there's hope in that. He will put to shame those who trample over him. There will be a reckoning. There will be a time. God is a God of justice God is also merciful. He's patient and long-suffering. But there will be a reckoning for those who are oppressing here, David says. So as we talk about despair and and hopelessness, so so, so what does that look like? What what does despair, what does it look like? We we see a little bit of description here from David, but, but practically speaking, what does that look like? So... Here here are five different descriptions here. The fruits of despair, of hopelessness, of those times of doubt. So what the fruits of despair, number one, negative, complaining, grumbling. How do I know when I'm slipping into those and the, the doubts are creeping in, I'm slipping into hopelessness and despair? You'll see the negative, complaining. Grumbling. Number two, I desire pity, not healing. I desire pity, not, not healing. We could sum it up this way. I'm, I'm more concerned about the feelings, about my feelings than I am my problems. I, I just want you to feel sorry for me. And not really looking at solution and healing in that moment. Number three, my expectations are dashed. My expectations are dashed. uh, There's a hopelessness in in this situation. Whatever it was, however I had planned, however I saw it taking place, clearly that is not going to happen. And so my expectations have been dashed, causing me to doubt 
that leads to hopelessness and despair. Number four, I seek to vindicate self and villainize all others, even God. I seek to, to, to vindicate myself no matter what's going on. I just want to make sure everyone knows that I am right and it's all of them. And maybe even into God, and, and this is your fault, God. And we take on that victim mentality. The fruits of despair and hopelessness, negative and complaining, desire pity, not healing. My expectations have been dashed. I seek to vindicate self and villainize others and God. And then number five, I am withdrawn and or despondent. I pull back. I become withdrawn or despondent. Um, I, I, I isolate. I, I try to remove myself from people and, and others that are around me in these times of despair, of hopelessness, of doubt. Can you think of a time when you've been there? For some, and really, there are these moments of despair and hopelessness where we're, we're kind of teetering and wavering and we slip into that and out of that. And then for others, there are these long periods of time of despair and, and, and deep depression. Maybe you can relate to a time, maybe some have come in this morning And, and that's a great description of where you're at right now. I read a, a, an interesting article this past week, and the article, it was entitled, uh, Seven Provisions for Your Trip Through the Desert. Seven Provisions for Your Trip Through the Desert. And, and really what the author of this article was doing was he was going back through and he was recounting ways that God had provided for the children of Israel in the 40 years that they wandered in the desert. Remember when, when the nation of Israel started off with just a family with, with, with Jacob and his family and they moved down into uh, Egypt and over 400 years developed into this massive nation and then God sends uh, Moses down to lead his people out of Egypt. They come up out of Egypt after the 10, twags, 10 plagues and, and Pharaoh released them from, from that finally and uh, they, they go into the desert, they start heading to the promised land that God had said and, and was telling them to go into that promised land. They, they send in the spies, they get afraid of the people in the land, and they reject God's plan and say, no, we're not going to go. And God says, hey, because of your disobedience, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and this generation will die off, and I will then fulfill my promise to the next generation. And so they spend that 40 years wandering in that desert area. And yet, even in the midst of that, as God was chastening them, as they had turned their backs on God and his plan, yet God still provided. And, and there's a great summary in Deuteronomy 29, verses 5 and 6. It says, I've led you. Forty years in the wilderness, your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not worn off your feet. You've not eaten bread. You've not drunk wine or strong drink. That you may know that I am the Lord your God. 
There were a number of different things that we see as they were wandering in the desert. I don't know if you've ever been in the desert before. If you've ever been in those times that we were mentioning, even just with Haiti there this morning was going on. One of the things is I make multiple trips every year to Haiti. When I come back, the first thing I have to do is I have to, to just launder everything that I took down there because of the dust. Because of the dryness and the dust that it's there, and, and sometimes I have to wash off my shoes and that. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and while they were there, there were some things that God did that we see listed out here and in other passages. Number one, nobody needed new, new shoes. 40 years, and their shoes didn't wear out. Think about that. I've had these shoes for quite a while, and... And eventually, if it's a really good shirt, you might think about re, re, uh, putting a new sole on there. Most of the time, you just go get another pair of shoes. That's walking around here in Peoria, Illinois, not in the desert. They didn't need new shoes. It says they did not need new clothes. All of that time in the desert, all the time with the dust and everything getting in, with the sun beating down on them and the fading and the fabrics and all that took place, they did not need new clothes. Says they they didn't that nobody needed a doctor. Deuteronomy seven verse fifteen said, "As long as you follow me, you will not need medical care. I will take care of you, and you will be okay." It says nobody ate bread or drank wine. It says, but they lived well. What are you talking about? Bread, the very staple that, that they ate every day in there, and the wine that, that so often was necessary because the, the drinking water was so bad and the things, they, and yet God provided manna for them, and that God brought water from a rock, and that God took care of them in the midst of that. They were protected from the heat and the cold. It would get very hot in the day and very cold at night. He gave them victory over their enemies. He protected them physically from the enemies that might attack, from wild animals as well. And ultimately, we see God's power was on display. While he was disciplining them, and yet, he still provided and protected and cared for his people. If God did that for them, Can we take hope in the fact that God will do the same for us? So let me ask you this question. How are you doing? When have your fears and desires moved to doubts and despair? Hopelessness. Can you think of a time Where has God now provided and protected you? Can you think back and start recounting? Sometimes it helps to even just start jotting it down where where we saw God do a big work in my life where he provided and he protected, sometimes out of nowhere. What areas in my life do, do I need to cry out to God? What can you be thankful for that God has done in your life? Number two, let's continue here. Find hope in God's glory and presence. He loves you. Find hope in God's glory and presence. 
He loves you. In the bottom part of verse 3, we see here, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. God will extend this consistent, constant love and care for me, David says. God loves you. God is with you. We have a a promise of an intimate presence of God in our life, the steadfast faithfulness of God. That he says he will never leave us nor forsake us. God is with us. Verse 4, he says, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. We're going to see here verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. We see it going, kind of going back and forth of David making statement of worship, and then he makes a statement of despair, and then he makes a statement of worship, and then he makes a statement of despair. And we're seeing again, the, you, can, you, can, you can feel the, the, the thoughts, the doubts that are creeping in as David looks around and says, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lay down with fire. Literally, he says, the wild beasts are all around me. He feels backed into a corner. Like he feels surrounded by fearful, treacherous animals. The enemy is present and scary really is what David is saying. It's dangerous where I'm at. And in those times, it's so often we feel that the enemy is close. And in those times, God feels so far away. But then he turns in verse 5. We see this psalm here, which was a song, and really verse 5, we're going to see it's repeated in verse 5 and verse 11. It's, it's really the chorus of the song, and, and he then turns that and says, though, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Be exalted, be lifted up, O God, Above the heavens, as high as I can imagine, the the most high of all the heavens, God, would you be lifted up even higher than that, is this statement of, of worship and praise, and let your glory just fill the whole earth. May you just pour your yourself, your essence, and may it just permeate all of the earth, may we just feel your glory, your presence, the, the, the magnificence of God throughout every nook and cranny of the earth. Fill up the earth with your glory is the statement that David makes here. Praise and worship statement in the midst of fear and hopelessness. God, uh, David wants God to be glorified more than he wants his own problems to be solved. You realize that? In these times of hopeless, when he's backed in the corner, what's he concerned about? God, may you be lifted up in this. He's more concerned about God getting the glory than he is his own problems being solved. He's concerned about that, but he's more concerned about God and his glory. Worship, despair, verse 5, worship. Now, verse 6, we see, they set a net for my steps, my soul is bowed down. They dug a pit in my way and they've fallen into it themselves. They set a a net for my steps. They've laid a trap before me. 
I can see it there. I can see that the, the, the next few steps, if I keep on going there, I'm going to fall into that trap that they have laid out for me. He says, my soul is bowed down. Literally, he says, I'm, I'm just, my, my essence, my, my, I'm just, I'm lower down before them. We, we, we can just feel the hopelessness. This trap is before me, and now what do I do? But he doesn't stop there. He goes on, and he says, but they dug a hole for me to fall into, but look what God does. But they fall into it themselves. Even though God's allowing this pressure, he's allowing this persecution, these attacks to come, and yet in the midst of it, though, God is still in control. And while they dug that hole for him to fall into, they themselves will fall into their own trap. That's what David is saying there. God will thwart their plans. The wicked will receive justice. There will be that time of reckoning. You know, I'm sure for all of you that are parents here in, in this room here right now, you can think back to time when your children, especially when they're younger, you can think back at times when your children were sick. When your children would get sick and they weren't feeling well, who did they want to be with? Mom. <laughs> Usually it's mom. I can, I can think over and over, you hear those voices. Think back to when you were a child and you weren't feeling well, you, you wanted to, you know, to, to be at home and you, and you wanted to be with mom, you wanted to be with dad. You wanted to be with, there was comfort in being with your parents when you didn't feel well. We were talking here this, this past week of, of a time, and, and it was uh, when my oldest, Miranda, was probably about 18 months, 19 months old. I had to have been probably 19 months old because Tiffany had just given birth to our, our second child, Abby, and, and she had gotten, Miranda had gotten sick, and it was the flu. It, it wasn't, you know, normally it wasn't that big a deal, but, but she was already a pretty skinny baby as it was, and she got the flu, and in that she got very dehydrated to the point that she had to be hospitalized. And, and I'll never forget, I, I still, it's so clear in my mind that night as, as we were there at the hospital with her, and, and they had her hooked up to the IVs, and they were putting fluids back in her and getting her back to health, and, and we weren't afraid for her safety overall. She, she was a sick girl at the time, but, but, but they had things well at hand. And mom had to go home because she had to take care of, the, uh, of Abby, who was a newborn. And so I spent the night there with Miranda. And you know what it's like staying in the hospital. And she's in that, that crib bed that they have that's kind of up higher. And, and then they come in every so often to check on her. And every time they come in, they, you, they wake up, right? And every time they come in, they wake up. And she would get restless and fearful and got IVs and I literally spent the night I pulled my bed up close to her so that I could reach up and just keep a hand on her and for the whole night I did not sleep a whole lot that night but the whole night just kept a hand on her and as long as I was touching her she was good every time the nurse would come in and she'd be startled but then she'd feel my presence and she was good and slept through the night if, if we take that kind of comfort from our earthly fathers and mothers, how much more our heavenly father, his presence in our life, the fact that he's right there, reached up, 
with a hand right on us. Sure, we're going through a tough time. We're going through pain. We're going through heartaches. But in the midst of it, he's still right there with us. He's holding our hand. It's a constant reminder, I got this. You're okay. Just keep at it. You're going to be okay. I got a plan. So let me ask you this. Are you feeling alone? Maybe you're in one of those times or have been where you're feeling all alone. Nobody knows, nobody cares, and even God is not around. When you're you're in those times when you feel alone, do you have a tendency to move towards God or do you have a tendency to move away from God? and try to isolate. David clearly shows that there's hope in the presence of God, that when we are in those times, we cry out to God, and we move to God, we slide in under his protective wings. How about you? Where have you seen God working in your life? What can you reflect on and meditate on to give him the worship and praise and be a constant reminder that God is faithful. Let's continue on. Verse seven, point point number three here. Find hope in celebratory worship. He is perfect and faithful. Find hope in celebratory worship. He's faithful and He's perfect and faithful. So verses 7 through 11 here as we end this chapter, uh, it's interesting because this this is a psalm. It's a song that David wrote. And we see these verses, are they parallel Psalm 108 verses 1 through 5. They're exactly the same. They kind of pulled this section out from another song in the songbook. or I'm not sure which was written first or which was second. But we see this and repeated here and this strong statement of worship here that David then turns to. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I I will sing and make melody. He says, my my heart is steadfast. My heart, when when we see this word heart in scripture and we see in this, he's really not talking about the, the organ pumping blood, but he's really saying my heart, my mind, my soul, the inner man, the essence of who I am, my my thoughts and my desires and all that takes place. My heart is confident in you, David says. He says, my mind is confident in you. Literally, what's he saying? He's saying, worship brings hope. Worship brings hope. Say that with me. Worship brings hope. Say it again louder. If you get nothing else from this passage, come away with this. Worship brings hope. As we put our, uh, turn our focus and attention to a sovereign, great, awesome, magnificent God, it can only bring hope. Hope. So what is hope? If you were around a couple years ago, back in the Toxic series, Pastor Tim gave a great definition of hope. This is a, a, a wonderful definition of hope. You can write this down. Hope is the confident 
undying expectation that what God says in his word is true and will happen. Hope is the confident, undying expectation that what God says in his word is true and will happen. Hope. Confident expectation that what God says in his word is true. It will come about. It's not an uncertainty. Gee, I hope this happens. It is a confident statement of saying, I can count on the fact that God's word is true and that God's going to bring it about. Hope. Verse 8, he continues, he says, Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. He says, Awake, my glory. It says, maybe in your Bible you see a footnote there, my glory, literally it's, it's my whole being, my soul. Awaken my soul is what David's saying. He says, wake up my soul, get out the instruments, it's time to party. He says, we're going to start this party early. We're going to start it in the morning here, and we're going to start off and wake in this morning with this awesome celebration of our great God. Verse 9, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. I will lift up my praise to you, my thanksgiving to you. I I, I will be thankful to the people that are around me. I will be thankful of you. I will be telling about all that God has done and sharing that out to all that are around. Not only the people that are right around me and friends and family and that, but I'm going to say it so much that all of the nations are going to hear how great my God is. You see, in the midst of despair... David turns to worship, to thanksgiving and praise. David is moving off of his problems and focusing on his problems, and he's moving to the problem solver. David moves his focus and attention off of his problems, and he moves it on to the problem solver. Remembering how God was faithful, how God solved problems in the past. David had seen this over and over. Remember David, the man who who killed the bear and the lion and tending his sheep and how God had delivered him there, how God had delivered him from, from the giant in Goliath and how God had delivered him over and over. He had seen God's work in his life. And even though it was hopeless in that moment, even though he felt like it was all crowding in, he could look back and say, God was faithful there, God was faithful there, and I can count on the fact God will be faithful now. How about you? Can you look back and see where God worked there, where God was faithful and provided for there? And now we can count on the fact that he will continue to be faithful. Verse 10, he says, For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your steadfast love, your loving kindness extends from here to heaven. Literally, we would say it in today's vernacular. It says your your loving kindness is is to the moon and back. 
It's an amazing, all-encompassing, expressing the greatness of God's goodness and love and trustworthiness. We can count on God. We can trust God in our fears and we can trust God and have hope in God in the midst of our despairs and times of despairs and doubts because he's proven himself faithful. And then we see verse 11 here. We see this chorus, this verse repeated again from verse five. It says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. He sums it all up again with this chorus, this crescendo, the statement of saying, and all this going on after all of these statements of words, Lord, be, would you be lifted up? You be lifted up higher than the heavens. And will your glory fill the earth? Every nook and cranny may we see our great God. So when you find yourself in those times of despair, how do we respond? Well, here's five steps to battling despair. Five steps to battling despair. Number one, when you're really in those times of despair and depression, number one, rest. Exhaustion exaggerates the issue. So often we, we find that in those moments when the world is pressing in, Many times sleep is deprived. We've been under pressure, under the circumstances and all that's been going on and one of the first things to go is rest. We see this in other passages as well and exampled as well. You know, it's interesting, sleep affects perspective. Maybe you could say it to the negative. A lack of sleep will definitely affect perspective. Make sure you're, just practically speaking, make sure you're getting rest. And as you're taking those times of rest, of resting and getting physically refreshed, but also resting in, in the Lord as well. Number two, identify the pain. Identify the pain. Sometimes this is, this is not easy to do and, and that, but what is it that's really, what, what, what are this, these feelings that are, that are coming in and pressing in right now? What, what, what is it that I'm feeling in this moment? Many times when people are in, and we're in those times where we're struggling in, de, in depression and despair, if you had to write it down in one sentence, is what, what, what am I feeling right now? It's hard to even express that. It's hard to even understand what, what exactly is the pain that I'm feeling right now. But then also, number three, identify the problem. Identifying the, the pain, the, the feelings, but then identifying the problems, number three. What, what are the circumstances? So what really is the issue that's going on right now? The circumstances that are at hand and, and really getting an idea of, of what, is, what really is the problem right now. And then number four, identify God's promises. Once we figure out the pain and get an idea of what it is that we're feeling and we see the circumstances, then we turn it and say, okay, so what does God say about this? 
Where do we see in God's word? What has God said that deals with the circumstances that I am in? Where are the promises that we see in God's word that would apply to this situation? And we start going through and saying, okay, God, we cry out, Lord, I'm in so much pain. Look at all that's going on in the circumstances. Now, what do you say about this? God has a lot to say. God has, has so many promises that we can then claim and cling to. And so we identify God's promises. And then number five, start taking steps of trust. Start taking steps of trust. Once we see God's promises, we understand the circumstances, start to put together that plan. Okay, so how am I going to respond now? And what is that next step that I will take? Let me just say this. When you're really in the throes of despair, when someone is really in steeped in depression, sometimes that step may be a very small step. There are times you can think back, maybe in your life and others that you've seen, I can think back in mine, where even just getting out of bed in the morning is a challenge. Understand that. It's legitimate. Sometimes even just getting up, something as simple as just getting up in the morning and making your bed. Of, of just getting ready in the morning and, 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 and one small step at a time. Be patient. It's okay to take it slow. It's all right. But as you start working through there and you start spending time and worshiping your God because hope or worship brings hope, you'll be amazed that, that just one small step and then one small step and God can bring about healing and restoration. It's fixing our mind on the problem solver instead of on the problem. A number of years ago when my son was, was younger, uh, we had been uh, at my brother's house, his uncle, and uh, my brother had a CD that was uh, military cadences. And it was a whole CD of military cadences from all different branches of the military. And he gave it to my son uh, to take home with him, uh, something that we cursed him over many, many times afterwards. Because for several years, every night... My son would, had to have that CD in the CD player that would play these, these military cadences over and over and over. And he would go to sleep thinking, it's no wonder my son's in the military now because he was brainwashed <laughs> when he was younger in that. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, as you've seen, and we've been in several different uh, of the, uh, um, on base and seen a, a lot of uh, uh, experience with, with military as well, and you, and you hear these cadences. When, when, do, they, when do they call out? Well, well, they call out those cadences when they're marching. They call out those cadences when, when they're running. Why do they do that? Well, a lot of it is, one, it, it kind of puts everyone together and in sync, and it gets them thinking about something else than what they're doing right there. And they start thinking about and singing about these cadences and whatever is going on. And they forget about how long the run is, of how long they've been marching and all this going on. It keeps them right in step and focused on something 
else. For the believer, that's what worship does. Worship sets our mind on God. Worship moves our focus and attention off of whatever else is going on, the, the difficulty and hardship, and it moves it to God, and it leads us to celebrating God for who he is and what he does. Worship sets our focus on God. Worship creates hope. So let me ask you, how's your worship? How are you doing this past week in your worship? How are you doing in spending time with God as you sit down and, and those times of encountering God? As, as you look into, your, into his word and, and, and you see the creator of the universe in his word and you spend time with him and you look around and you see God at work and all that's around, you're seeing God moving and directing and leading as you encounter him and then it leads you to exalting him. As you behold this great God and then you drop your arms and you be still. And you stop fighting what God's doing. You behold, you be still. And then be, being filled where we confess our sin and our junk and we, Lord, forgive us. And then we focus back on God and beholding him and we go through that process of spiritual breathing and that exalting of God that then leads us to engaging and putting into action what God has called us to do after worshiping him. Let me ask you this. What are the doubts, the little whispers that you've been hearing and the doubts that creep into your mind that lead you into hopelessness and despair? And then what are the promises that we can see from God's word? What is the promises that we can see that we can apply to those doubts? When the the, the doubt and the whisper of Satan and our flesh start creeping in and the moments of doubt and despair and hopelessness that we can say, no, but God says this. But God is this. Worship brings hope.